Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. I'm very excited about today's guest. He is a top-ranked professional vert skater, a professional snowboarder. Uh, he is the pioneer, and uh, we'll come back to the word pioneer, but a pioneer of the word the double lindy. Uh, he is the founder of Saucony Creek Brewing Company and now uh, of the Larimer uh, Beer Company in Chester, Pennsylvania. Matt Lindemuth. Matt, how are you? I am great. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Um, you, know, you could be, you could be working. You could be, you know, cleaning out some some tanks with some caustic. But you're here with us. Actually, I'm in the middle of that. I'm just taking a little <laughs> break, and uh, it's a much needed break for a, a beer. And uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get back to the brew house in a second. So it's all good. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. That's for sure. Not leaving. Yep. None do of you have, the- Do you just have like a bed set up now next to it? I, I, I should. Uh, I, you know. That has happened, uh, sleeping on the couch in the office, both in the early days of Saucony yeah, and uh, even here at the Larimer. Um, yeah. It happens. There's some days that get away from you and, uh, you know, you got to go take a nap on the couch and keep going. <laughs> it's only right. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, definitely a lifestyle, um, but I love it. Yeah. And, uh, it seems like you do because it's, it's been a journey. That is, that is, to put it lightly, it's been a journey and it continues to be a journey um, because, you know, we're, we're, we're living and surviving through this uh, crazy year of 2020, but, um, you know, we're, we're managing, we're being creative and uh, trying to (laughs) do everything we can to, to uh, make sure we get, we get through this whole deal. But uh, yeah, life's good and, and the industry's good and, uh, it's, it's continues to be a fun project for me. And I think without beer right now, everybody would just be at a loss, just freaking going absolutely apeshit. And I, uh, I know I would be, um, there, <laughs> there, there has been, uh, it's been a, especially, you know, full lockdown quarantine in the, or in the early month, uh, or first couple months. Yeah. There was, uh, there was a lot of couch time and movies and, um, having a having a fridge full of beer was a good thing absolutely yeah i mean you're lucky for you i mean you could just drink right out of the bright tank if you need to i uh not gonna say that i i did not uh <laughs> quality control travelers out of the out of a bright tank maybe absolutely <laughs> why make it travel farther you know pull it right from the tank you know love it man so you know I mentioned the word pioneer. There's, there's so much to talk about. You have such a, a wild history and, you know, you're, you're from Kutztown, Pennsylvania. I grew up watching you on TV, you know, from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley. So we're not that far apart. You know, I have plenty of friends who, who went to Kutztown university. Um, but you were, you know, tell me about this X games kind of deal, right? You are, what are you 15, 16, 17, 18? Like how old are you at this point? Well, I was pretty young. Um, spent, a total of, of approximately, if I'm doing my math correctly, 18 years 
in that world, um, where that was my full-time world, um, as a, as a professional, like as a profession. And, you know, obviously you got to get to there. I was just a a kid who, you know, I, I always skateboarded. I surfed, I had a BMX bike. Uh, I got, I had gotten a pair of rollerblades, started going to the skate park and so, you know, sort of just found out that I was good at it, you know, Mm -hmm. by, uh, trying to constantly learn a new trick every day I went and it turned into the, you know, from going to the skate park on Saturdays to going to the skate park every day of the week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually, um, I, uh, yeah, this, this, uh, discovered that there was a competition up in New York city and went to it, competed in it. And I think that that was, it was my first and only, uh, competition as an amateur. Um, and I, I want to say that I was, I was either 12 or 13 years old. Wow. Um, and, uh, then, uh, basically from that event, I, I finished third place and some folks from companies approached yeah. my parents and, uh, asked if, you know, I would endorse and be a spokesperson for and yeah it kind of was like that was that was it and it was like it was kind of right timing the the timeline and time frame of action sports right blowing up in the mainstream was like just about to happen and um it just kind of was a whirlwind from there um because then you know that was that was 1993 okay i was 12 what kind of music are you into at this point uh, I was always just from growing up at the skate park. I was always a, like, I was always a punk rock kid. Okay. That's what the older guys were listening to. And so number one, I didn't have a choice. Uh, Cause they, <laughs> and uh, older than you, they get precedence. Yeah. Um, but number two, like I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, so I was, I was just, I was like fully embracing the action sports world of like, skate bmx rollerblade surf whatever punk rock music which eventually you know turned into things like warp tour being a part of my uh when they still had um yeah. skating going on and stuff like that well warp tour is retired now at this point but yeah. um yeah so it was just that whole that whole world that whole culture counterculture of action sports was my life for basically from when I was 12 to 31 ish, 32. Um, that's more than half your life at that point, you know? uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I spent um, upwards of, you know, two thirds of the year, uh, traveling internationally, living in, living in hotels that we were just a circus act basically. Right. And, uh, but it afforded me the privilege of seeing the world, meeting people, and, um, I mean, that's where I kind of got into good beer at a young age and just kind of, was always a fascination then from there. And then, you know, eventually friends and, um, a cousin of mine started homebrewing and, you yeah. know, one thing led to another that I started homebrewing and, you know, it was like the, the long, slow path to 
what has, I guess, become my second career. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting. So you, you know, it's interesting how they come together and you're probably not, I mean, are you even 18 at that point where you have your first beer over in like Germany oh, yeah, or something? No, not at all. I was definitely, I was probably 14, yeah. 15. Um, used to spend a lot of time in Germany. I used to spend a, a good amount of time in like Belgium, Switzerland, France. Um, so I was exposed to, and again, um, I was always around peers that were much older than me. Older, right. And so they were really educating me on how to travel. You know, hey, we got a down day. Let's not waste it. Let's go and check this place out. Or, um, you know, let's let's not order room service. Let's go out to some some restaurants in this town in the middle of Germany or Belgium or wherever we may be and like soak up the local culture. And so, yeah, you know, with a little bit different um, take on uh, alcohol consumption um, in that part of the world, I started sipping on beers pretty young. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's wild how, you know, by the end of this podcast, people kind of understand, you know, I've done some research and, you know, I know who you are and, and sort of look at all the facets of your life when you were doing the, you know, you're, you're fully involved in the action sports and that is your thing. And it's taking you all over the world and you're experiencing culture and music and different uh, types of environments, you know, and then, you know, you're, you, you sink your whole self into that. And then you found, you know, that led you to beer, which is almost like the next chapter where it kind of takes you along this path. And then you're fully enveloping yourself into beer as well. You know, whether it's Pennsylvania out to Colorado, mixing it with snowboarding, coming back to Pennsylvania, like sleeping on the floor. I mean, you, you live and truly like you live the brand, you live it. I do. Um, part of that is because I believe that's all I have known how to do anything that I'm doing. Um, become like obsessive. Is this like a 10,000 hours kind of thing? Basically, um, you know, the action sports thing was kind of an accident. Like, you know, when you're 12 years old, you're not, I didn't have a plan for my life or anything. And, uh, I, I just enjoyed going to the skate park and skating and trying to get better and, um, you know, kind of compete against myself to challenge yeah. myself to improve. And, um, is that what you do today? Do you compete against yourself? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, well, that's a good thing. The reason why I asked that just because there's, you know, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt who says like the, uh, comparison to other people basically is, is the thief of all joy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I wake up every day and I try to be, be better than I was yesterday. I don't care what other people are doing. Right. I want to be better than I will. I want to be a better version of myself. Yeah, it is destructive uh, to, to focus too much on what everybody else is doing. I Absolutely. think that it is um, a necessary evil to try to compare yourself to others, uh, unfortunately. Because you're, you're not them. You know, you're you. But, uh, you know, it's, that's where it's like, how can I do... I'll relate it this way. You know, with in-action sports, maybe... I had a little bit more of a natural gift to do. Um, and it was because of some training I did cross training. I did with, with gymnastics coaches and trampoline training. And so I was able to do those double backflips and tri- and triple backflips. 
other guys that I was competing with, they didn't have that ability to do a, to do the trick the way I was doing it, but they came up with their own unique way sure. to, to do something that kept them relevant. I thought what they were doing looked really, really cool. And I wished I could have done it, but because my background was, um, you know, sort of built around a little bit more of a formal gymnastics training. Yeah. Couldn't do what they were doing. They couldn't do what I was doing. Um, so we just sort of honored that. And, um, I think that that does parlay into the craft beer world. I think the craft beer world in general has been very cozy for me because it is comparable when it comes to that. Um, yes, we're competitive, amongst each other as brewers a little bit it's business. We, we all got to survive, but we are, and sort of always have been encouraged to be unique and different amongst ourselves. And then the camaraderie is pretty, pretty open and, and friendly. Um, and so it, there, there was a very comparable world for me when I, when my world in action sports came to a close, I, I, I mean, I didn't immediately step into the commercial beer industry, but as I started to move into that realm, yeah. it just felt comfortable uh, because it was a lot of that same uh, like-minded uh, mentality of we're in this together. Yeah. We are the, we're like action sports. We were the small sports, you know, we were, we weren't the NFL or MLB and yeah. in craft beer. We, we were the small guys and we weren't Bud Coors Miller. So it was like, we, we had, we had this again, like nice little like subset counterculture of, yeah. um, same wavelength, um, relationships. It makes sense. I mean, so gymnastics you were doing as a, you know, when you were five to 12 or something. Yeah. I mean, it, so I used to train and, and then I eventually was living around, um, Woodward camp, um, yeah. central Pennsylvania. Near yeah. Penn State. And, um, they have a gym, they have a gymnastics and, you know, Olympians would train there and stuff. And so there was always some pretty, well, pretty high end coaching yep. coaches there, but also incredibly high end facilities. And so, you know, I was there skating and practicing for the next con next contest I was going to go to, but in your downtime, I'd go over and start poking my head in at the gym saying mm -hmm. like, Hey, can you like, can you teach me how to do double backflips? Can huh. you teach me how to do this or that? And some of these guys, you know, they were just as fascinated, um, watching us skate on the hurt ramp as we sure. were fascinated watching them do. I mean, some of these guys on, I remember there was these, this Danish power tumbling crew They would <laughs> in there and these guys would do like, quadruple backflips off of like the floor, like not even a trampoline. Like is that and, guy from the future? <laughs> yeah. You know, like these, these guys were just gifted and strong and it was incredible. And so we had this weird, but positive, you know, mix of, um, different, different sports that, that, uh, you know, you think gymnastics is very formal and structured and then you got like, these like punk skateboard sure. next rollerblade kids over here. Right. And, uh, but, the, but Woodward, you know, kind of 
they cla- it clashed those worlds together. And absolutely, um, if you're if you're open to it, you know, if you're if you're yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there is definitely there is there's there's I think there was more more open minded uh, individuals on the action sports side of that camp than there were on the gym camp, but um, there was plenty of of forward thinkers on the gym side as well that saw this opportunity of like oh the these like the the basics or or the the fundamentals of gymnastics can translate over to improving and progressing the action sports folks and maybe vice versa i don't know um but i mean i can i can give you an account like myself learning double backflips which obviously then led to triple backflips um you know, Dave Mira worked in there with those guys learning and working on double flips. It was BMX, right? BMX. Yep. Uh, there's another BMX dude that spent tons of years there, Ken and Harkin. And he went in there and trained just like I did, like putting on these safety belts and stuff. And and he was the first guy on a BMX bike to do a, a backflip 360. I mean, these are – they were fundamental gymnastics moves. Absolutely. That we – had not only coaches to, to help, but safe training environments because gymnasts train into foam and they have harnesses on and things like that to learn a, a trick. We didn't have that growing up at the skate park. We just threw our bodies out there. And if, <laughs> if we fell and you know, like we fell and if we broke a bone, we just didn't, we just didn't ride for six months, you know? So Woodward was this very, revolutionary process of oh my gosh we can try some crazy new idea and not get hurt as easily and so that's where i think i mean it held true for me and many others you know the, the 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 rapid progression of action sports across the board all the sports was because of the, the concepts that we had access to at Woodward. So and Woodward was like the skate camp or the action sport camp in the country. I mean, people oh, yeah. are coming here that, from all over. You know, like all the pros hung out there, yeah. you know, kids, um, kids every summer. Uh, like that was the big, the big summer vacation trip. They went and spent a week at camp and um, had, at, I mean, it's acres and acres and acres of just, I, 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 I couldn't even, begin to describe how many indoor skate buildings there are outdoor concrete parks outdoor wood parks um and then they had literally like you know every big name pro from every sport was hanging out and it was just there was no there was no uh fence dividing anybody you know it was like everybody was just skating together hanging out and doing summer camp Um, and the 18 year olds are cool with the 12 year olds like get along yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, uh, when you, when you have a thousand kids together for a week at an overnight camp, some of these kids are international. Some of them are down the road. Yeah. There's always going to be like a little bit of drama, but, uh, I mean, even amongst the staff, you know, I mean, they, I think they, like, I mean, I, I don't even know how many staff they had. I mean, it, the place was huge, like yeah. massive. So, um, yeah, it's just like any other workplace, you know, like there's drama. Absolutely. And, uh, but it was at the end of the day, like we were, everybody was there for the same reason. Yeah. Everybody was there because they wanted to skate. They wanted to be around people that 
were into the exact same thing they were. So it was a pretty, pretty happy spot. Um, I, I mean, I, I spent a great deal of my time, uh, during those years hanging out, hanging out there. They, you know, they always had the best ramps. They always had the best facilities. So it was like the spot to be. That's awesome. So I have a book behind me. It says it's always impossible until it's done. And, you know, I purposely put that there in a Sam's dogfish book here. Um, you know, when you, you're trying out this double Lindy, explain to us what that is, but what's going through your mind when you're trying to let, you know, either one, when you're soaring through the air like that, or like, you know, I mean, you got to feel like Superman. Yeah. Well, first the, the flying through the air thing, um, is, yeah, it's, it's a pretty special feeling. Um, it, you just, uh, especially when you, when you're at that level, um, your air awareness is extremely high. Things happen very slow. Okay. So time kind of slows down for you. What's that? Time slows down a little bit for you. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of feel, you, you sort of feel like you're floating a bit, uh, you know, and, and then you start getting into like doing, because we were competing, we had to, we couldn't always do the fun tricks that we wanted to do. Like we had to push ourselves right. we needed to, we needed to, you know, be on yeah. top, make yeah. pay the bills sort of thing. Um, so then you start saying, well, all right, well, how do I stand out? How am I, how am I, how can I be progressive? How can I be the new modern, you know, twist to whatever. And not break your neck. And not break your neck. And <laughs> so, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I, you know, like I said, I, I was spending so much time at Woodward and, and I had that opportunity to go in there and use these facilities where I, I had a safe training environment. And, um, I had seen, I'd seen Dave Mira do double backflips on his BMX bike the year prior. I was like, I want to do that on the vert ramp. And so I just went and, uh, just went and start, start jumping in the foam pit. Okay. You know I mean, like you, obviously you learn a single, yeah. you know, I, I could do a single, single backflip. And, uh, then, you know, I go in there and put me in a harness and things like that. And guy catches you before you fall on your head on, you know, the one and a half flip Yep. and you just keep repetition, just kept going through it. And so the whole double Lindy thing just kind of got tagged because of the whole Rodney Dangerfield, triple Lindy and back to school. <laughs> okay and uh you know my nickname was lindy growing up my family yeah. my family's nickname everybody was lindy um so yeah the whole double lindy thing was kind of spawned off that and then of course you know pressure from friends and peers in the industry was like the following year well when are you going to do the triple lindy mm. you know and then it was like all right well i you know, I, I'm very comfortable after doing so many double backflips and I was doing them very high on the ramp. I was doing them where, again, I got to that comfort, comfort level of 
everything felt very slow. I was in total control. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I can get at least around like two and a half, right. and, you know, land on my knee pads and be safe. And, uh, so it was, it was kind of, I hate saying this, but it was basically like a, a drunk dare the night before. Um, I had just turned 21. Uh, my dad came with me to the event. We were out at the bar. I was like finally out in the U S legally, legally at the bar <laughs> with all of my, you know, all of my peers across the, uh, all these sports because we were at the, um, NBC gravity games, which were being held in Cleveland at the rock and roll hall of fame that year. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the older guys called me out and said like, well, when are you going to do the triple Lindy? I was like, tomorrow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, I think, I think tomorrow's the day. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so they held me to it, you know, but I, I, I wasn't totally out of line. Like I said, I, I, there was a sense of comfort there. I, I was at a level at that time physically and that I was like, I can do this. I think I can do this safely. And, and, uh, so I did that next night. Um, I threw it around, like put my feet down and slipped out. And, and I, that's where I, it dawned on me, you know, like true, truly the Holy shit moment. Like I can actually do this. Damn. And this and, is on rollerblades, right? This is on rollerblades. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, it, I didn't, didn't land it there. Um, I actually never landed it in competition. Um, but I, I did, uh, I did keep working on it cause I was, I was dead set. Like this was gonna happen. And mm-hmm. I only ever landed it though on a, on a, what we call a resi ramp, which is like a practice, a practice vert ramp where you land on like a, a more of like a foam plastic, you can still roll away, but there's yeah. a little bit of cushion to it. Um, I never landed it on the real ramp in competition. So, um, it's all right, man. You'd be all right. <laughs> Strana recently gave me shit about that too. Um, <laughs> he, he called me out. He knew that he knew the damn answer. And he was, he was like, Hey, did you ever land that in competition? And, uh, I obviously said no. And he's like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to hear you say that. Yeah, that's messed up. Um, he's like, but he brought up a good point. It made me feel much better about the whole thing. Um, you know, because he referenced how they, they do the nitro circus and nitro games. And they basically what, when you see that big black, um, like plastic landing that they land on, on the gigantic ramp at nitro stuff, yeah. that's the resi ramp. Okay. Uh, so that we just had it set up so that it, it was like in the shape of a vert ramp and, and we would take off from the real ramp and land on this resi ramp. And, uh, he's like, he still landed it. You just, you know, like you still did it and rolled away. Um, so I was like, okay, um, that you made me, you, you took me from like total bummed and depressed to, I feel better about myself again. So it was, um, but yeah, it, it was a, that was a crazy, crazy <laughs> time. I was, uh, I'm, I'm much, uh, happier, uh, at my, what feels like my old age after all the injuries I've been through to, uh, you know, just be, uh, Spending my days uh, not worried about falling off of a the, the brew house, 
15 foot air. Instead, I'm just worried about slipping on the brew house floor or something, you know? <laughs> what, uh, what was like, you ever have any like compound fractures, bones popping out the skin, anything like that? Um, nothing ever compound knock on wood. Um, I definitely a number, um, went through a ton, ton of surgeries, bunch of metal in my body. Um, so that's yeah. fun going through the airport, I bet. It's all, um, different material that doesn't, yeah, it's, it's, um, I wanted to say carbon, but it's not, it's, um, but, but yeah, it doesn't set off the, you, you yeah. can see it on the, 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 um, the screener scanners. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can see it all through my legs and everything and all that. And my face, cause I had my, my jaw redone, um, smashed my face off. I mean, that kind of comes with the territory though. I mean, you're like, you're, you're doing these backflips and shit. I mean, that's going to happen. Well, that's, and that's, you know, the injuries kept getting worse and more frequent because even though we had safe facilities to learn, yeah. eventually you still had to go and do it on a real ramp. And then, yeah, I mean, Hey, accidents happen. And as the envelope kept getting pressed to higher and higher, um, difficulty and progressions. Yeah. Things, things, uh, things break when you fall from high heights. So your mom call you Matthew, Matthew knocked this shit off. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, she was definitely always nervous. Um, like when she was there, uh, by chewing on her nails the whole time you're at Woodward. Yeah, you know? When they were watching live, um, both my parents, uh, everybody, I mean, it's, you know, especially when, you know, like you're, they're there watching me live, try to do triple backflips or whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, they were here at, in Philadelphia, X Games, uh, 2001, 2002 is when I did triples. And yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's one small little mistake and, and, you know, it, yeah things, things happen, things can happen quick. And, you know, just like, um, the scary idea that things could happen quick and you get in a car accident and your life changes. Like we were putting ourselves in those situations 50 plus times a day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were, they were nervous for sure. (laughs) I, I mean, I, that's the thing is like, uh, I wasn't, because I still at that point thought I was indestructible. Right. Here's this young, but, stupid uh, kid. <laughs> you know, without a good uh, sports psychologist after injury, you know, major injury, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, you start to realize like, maybe I'm going to pull back a little bit. Maybe I'm not going to, or maybe I don't need to do that. And obviously I guess maybe age and maturity as well, but um, you know, that's where for me, that whole, that whole adventure came to an end. Um, I had already started Saucony Creek. Okay. And I went out to, to do some, uh, half pipe shows, rollerblade half pipe shows. And the only reason I took the, the gig was because it was in Madison, Wisconsin, which I think is a cool town. It is a cool town. And I was like, I, yeah, I'm going to go hang out, going to make some money. I'll skate a few shows, go hang out, check out some breweries out there. 
no big deal. It's three days. I'm back. <clears throat> Broke my hip and femur, emergency surgeries, everything else. And uh, that was kind of the final straw. Like, uh, femur's the, the your thigh bone, right? The thickest bone yeah, in the body. Yeah, yeah, up into my hip uh, joint and everything. So I've had that redone a couple times. That, that was uh, not done correctly. The first surgery in Wisconsin, they had to take my leg apart, rebuild it. And that was, that was the final straw. That was sort of uh, both physically and um, it would have been a hell of a challenge to get back to where I was. But on top of it, you know, Saucony now was sitting there staring at me and, and um, I kind of had to make the decision of like, I'm going e- to either go for this as with the brewery project or I'm not. And, and, um, I think I made a good decision. <laughs> I still, still miss flying through the air. Uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was time to move on to the next chapter. So, um, yeah, so Saucony, uh, Saucony Creek came to be and, um, that's morphed many, yep. many times since then into, uh, you know, actually having a restaurant and, second location now in Reading and yep. um, all, all the, uh, all the things that, you know, you kind of hope for with growing and yep. um, it's been uh, now it's been a, a whole new crazy adventure in, uh, in the beer world. So you started homebrewing in California though, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I was living in the Eastern Sierras. Um, so rewind. I always snowboarded and, did all sorts of action sports, like I said earlier, like surfed and snowboarded and whatever, skateboarded. Um, and so I was starting to I get a little, I don't want to say get bored, but I was, I was getting worn out with the schedule that I had for my, my rollerblade responsibilities. And I was starting to spend much more time in the winter snowboarding. Okay. And uh, started to have a lot of fun with that. Started to really concentrate on trying to do everything I would do on the vert ramp in the snowboard half pipe. Right. And um, yeah, went did the same thing. I kind of went and entered into some contests and, you know, never was at the same level that I was with, with Summer X Games, but did a lot of traveling and competing with snowboarding and whole new world of friends in the winter industries and yeah. um, used to spend my our summers uh, in the Southern hemisphere for their winters. And I spent a lot of time in New Zealand and um, you know, so again, I kept on traveling, kept on doing that whole deal and, and I ended up moving and spending almost, a, almost 10 years in Mammoth Lakes, California, which, which is on the East gate of Yosemite. Okay. Um, and um, it's kind of, yeah, it's a mountain town. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, really the only reason to be there is if you're into outdoor adventure sports and, um, uh, yeah. And there was, there was a number of, number of friends there involved in the industry that they started sharing their home beer, home brewed beers with me. And then of course that led to, you know, being curious and getting set up with my own homebrew kit and, uh, sort of joining the, uh, their unofficial club of brewing and sharing beers each month. And, awesome. uh, 
um, yeah, it, it, so it was, uh, it was just strictly a hobby. Um, it's fun, fun, fun way to get together with, with everybody and, you know, kind of talk shop and, uh, and then, uh, I started getting a little bit more serious uh, as I, um, some opportunities kind of the door kind of closed on some opportunities with sponsors and things like that and snowboarding. Okay. So I, I started looking at, and I was, I was doing work yet for Woodward camp and they were working on developing and launching snowboard camps and and free ski camps as a part of, you know, an extension of what they did. So I was spending time back in Pennsylvania in the summers working, working for the Woodward crew and, you know, one thing led to another that I, I moved back east, and uh, I had a big empty garage, and I'm like, "Well, let's <laughs> fire it up. up. Let's fire it up." And uh, the uh, Keystone Homebrew over yep. Bethlehem was my spot to go, and just started getting more and more into it because I I didn't have all of my action sports responsibilities anymore. I wasn't traveling. Yeah, wasn't doing all that stuff. So. Do you ever sit still? Are you a guy who could sit? Uh, I wish I could. <laughs> I, I just, my, it's hard for my brain to shut down. Yeah. Uh, um, I am I'm similar. Very, very, um, uh, there's always something, you know, bugging me about we could do this or I could do that. And here's an idea. Let's not, it, like, it can't sit on the shelf. I have to do it. I feel like you're a very curious person. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, uh, the curiosities led me to a lot of the things that I am. Yeah. I have either dabbled in or dove in headfirst to yeah. eventually. So yeah, no, I'm curious. I I like to learn. I come come from a family of educators. Okay. Uh, both my parents and some aunts and uh, my sister and we were just always always around educators growing up. Okay. And I love, and I, and I enjoy learning. I, Mm -hmm. I enjoy, um, through traveling and, and having some of these, these, uh, older guys around me who would get me out of the hotel, take me around town. Yeah. I would learn things from just visiting places or, you know, just reading about things. I was a lot of self-taught, um, lessons of just, you know, venturing the world. But, um, yeah, when I, I, I just, uh, there's something that keeps me feeling, it's very cliche, but keeps me feeling young, I guess, in like learning something new all the time. Yeah. But it's, um, it, it's like an adrenaline boost for me. Like I get, whether it's, I read something about a new, um, a new, you know, dry hopping process that somebody's been working on and they have information for, or if it's, I, you know, traveled to, um, a, a new country or a new city and, and yeah. I just cruising the streets and, you know, reading historical placards, like sure. it, it, I get pumped up on that stuff. It's, um, you know, I mean, literally growing up pre me leaving on the road for action sports life, my parents as, as teachers had their summers off and we'd get in the car and we'd road trip and we'd go to historical sites and we'd go to 
you know, civil war battlefields and it was constantly learning something new. Um, so I latched onto that with the, with the homebrew enthusiasm where I just wanted to keep getting better. I wanted to learn more. I'd never wanted to be uh, unable to answer a question or understand why a batch might not have tasted the way I wanted it to taste. And so I just wanted to keep on learning. Um, the biggest learning curve and I continue to learn daily is, is the business side of it all. Um, I, I personally would love to just be creative, you know, brand development and, and, and beer (laughs) development. But, uh, you know, we gotta, gotta run, uh, as a small, small brewery, like we are, you know, I gotta, I've been, uh, you got to sleep on the floor until you can, you can some lessons on, on the business side of operations as well, which is yeah. absolutely boring to me. But, um, I, I still get that sense of, uh, accomplishment because I, you know, watched a new, uh, tutorial or read a new book about this or that or the yeah. other. Actually the one sitting behind you is, has, was, uh, numerous reads on uh brewing up a business from from sam it's so good that book i just read that i've had that book for a number of years so uh brewing up a business by sam calgione from dogfish uh and you haven't met him is that correct but you love the book and he he really inspired you okay a few times but um for for how close close our lives pass um because my parents uh moved to to lewis delaware okay lived down the street from them and I've done collaborations with them, with Brian Selders. Uh, I have so many friends and people. I mean, we cross paths and we've met, but we, we've never really spent like real uh, time connecting or anything like that. Sometimes you guys didn't make like a music video together. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of where you're not the only one who said like, I can't believe you guys haven't, you know, like done the punk scene and all that, right? Yeah. So, uh, Hey, it's, it's, uh, there's still time to do that. Uh, eventually we'll, we'll see what happens, but no, I just, uh, I grew up vacationing down there in the, in the Delaware beaches. Um, and so I, I witnessed dogfish firsthand becoming what they are. Um, and, uh, it just fascinated me. And I, I thought Sam was just this articulate, cool dude. I, and I, I, was always just into everything he was doing. Again, it it connected me to um, a place of comfort that I could relate to that action sports music subculture that I called my life. Yeah. So um, he really tied it together. And then, I mean, the book, you know, describing how he kind of really gambled and went for it was just sort of what put me over the kind of, put me over the edge. Well, it's like you going for the triple backflip, right? I mean, he, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, like you were a pioneer, right? You're, you're setting your sails and you're going off and you're going for it. And that's what he does in this book. Um, and that book is so much more than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's more than just a business guide. It, it's it, so good. He, His stories are great. He's an incredible author. I think. And then just like him, right? He takes this boat 
he puts a keg on the boat, right? And he's taking it. Ends up, he gets to the, he canoes all the way to the place and the beer, the rest of the beer actually never shows up in the book, right? So. Yeah, I think it was the first time that Dogfish was going to start sending beer to New Jersey. And so he (laughs) built, he built a wooden canoe himself and paddled across the Delaware Bay yeah. to like Cape May. To like Cape I, May, yeah. And uh um, Of course he did. Yeah, it it took like hours longer than it was supposed to. I think he missed the event or whatever. Yeah, he did. He showed up that the other beer never showed up. His beer was warm. It was like yeah. six people there. Yeah, so, you know, and I I I uh I just adore that stuff. That's, you know, those stories are so romantic to me and I just I think that he has just been an incredible ambassador to craft beer and um not just him obviously between you got your you know your grossman and and kim and and cook and everybody who yep along with sam spent a lot of time and resources educating um a lot of people on what craft beer was and why it was different and and why it was cool yeah and um, so I think I think as an industry, we owe a guy like Sam as as a handful of, of others as well, many many praise and thanks, you know, uh, across the country. No doubt. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, Didn't you hop in the canoe with the keg though? Also. Uh, yeah, I did. I tried to kayak a keg. There was so. <laughs> the Susquehanna. Uh, yeah, it was the, the Schuylkill <laughs> River. It was the Schuylkill River. Google. Um, there was a, a group that did the entire Schuylkill River to kayak sojourn as a part of the Schuylkill River Restoration Fund raising money. You know, so it's like one of these bike rides where you raise money and you ride so many miles. These guys did the whole 130-some miles of the Schuylkill River. I joined them for the last day in Maniunk. Three miles. Yep, in Maniunk. Uh, and very, very similar disaster. Um, we were supposed to kayak down the river, land at Boathouse Row in Philly, take the keg out, go to a bar, tap the keg, the entire sojourn. I mean, this is like 60, 60 70 plus people. <laughs> and it was for Philly. It was during Philly beer week. Okay. So I'm like, yep, let's do it. And I showed up and I had my own, uh, sea kayaks. We had the most insane rainfall the day before the river was raging. Oh my God. It was absolutely nuts. I show up trying to like float this keg down the river with me in a kayak. And, um, basically I capsized. We lost yeah. my turn you sideways or something. Yeah, it was also like these swirling currents and everything too. And so the keg, I lost the keg like 50 yards after we launched. Uh, keg sank, couldn't get it back up. Uh, it's still there now. It's probably still in the bottom of the Schuylkill River. Um, it's probably I, still cold. It, well, it's certainly cold. I don't know. It was an IP. It was an IPA, so I don't know that it's aging well. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody does find a, um, it's a printed Saucony Creek keg. If anybody finds it, the Stonefly or something. Stonefly IPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was that was a good time. Luckily, we had other kegs at the bar, and uh, 
we weren't totally out of luck, but but yeah, there is a there is a stonefly keg at the bottom of the Schuylkill River somewhere. That is incredible. <laughs> That's funny, man. Always try to keep it interesting, you know. That's it, man. Again, you don't know you don't know what you can do until you try it. We're on this journey, right? So now we go Saucony, we go back to Colorado. I'm trying to find you back then. They're like, oh, Matt's in Colorado. I'm like, what the hell is he doing there? So you went back to teach snowboarding or are you doing that? And then you come back. Yeah, there was a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of uh, missing some action sports. Okay. History and travel. Um, there may have also been a little bit of chasing after a girl or something like that, but we will leave that part out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I was spending a lot of time, you know, spending a lot of time hanging in Colorado, um, sort of reconnecting to the scene out there. I just had a lot of friends from years past and just enjoying, um, being, being back in the mountains and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, one thing led to another, I was kind of back and forth, um, trying to keep myself, you know, day to day involved at Saucony and, you know, one thing led to another where I, I came across a couple opportunities to contract brew, uh, out of a few facilities in Denver and so doing the gypsy thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, now are you doing this? Like, is this as the Larimer at this point? And let's, let's, yeah. let's back up though. Let's talk about, you know, what you overhear a conversation or someone brings this conversation to you that there's some guy from Pittsburgh that founded Denver. Yeah. Well, so general William Larimer, my idea to do some kind of spinoff project because I had some contract access to a few different brewery, brewery locations. I was already planning and conceptualizing a new brewery project. Okay. It was going to be hundred percent nomadic, no brick and mortar location. Like yep. just, uh, well, just, yeah, just enjoying brewing and traveling and trying to do collabs and stuff like that. Um, I through just, again, the small and, um, craft beer, um, friendly industry. I, I was hanging out and, and ma- meeting and making friends throughout the Denver brewing industry and get introduced to Brian Strumkey, um, Stillwater. And Brian is telling me about this location that he's brewing out of in Denver kind of goes, tells me what he's doing, how he's doing stuff. And, um, that was like step one. All right, cool. I can, I can do the same thing. And, uh, it sort of fits my, my lifestyle right now. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I was having a beer at, uh, Epic Brewing, uh, in Rhino, uh, the Rhino district neighborhood. Um, a lot of friends of mine were working there at the time and I would spend a lot of time there on my laptop getting work done. And a guy I knew who, who, was a part of a graphic design marketing little firm came to me with this logo. Huh? Uh, it wasn't done up like this. It was just the face and, and bust with, you know, with the beard. He said, 
I know you're trying to come up with a name for this new project. Do you know who this guy is? This is General William Larimer. Like Larimer Street, we were sitting a block off of Larimer Street at this point. In, in Denver, right? Here, and he's like, all this stuff here that's named Larimer is named after this guy. He's a Pennsylvania native who had a long winding journey out to Colorado and he founded Denver. That's why everything here in Denver is named after Larimer. I'm like, sold, done. Like, what do I got to pay you for this logo? Yeah. I was like, I love this. Um, I mean, I, I had like, I was thinking about going like a bicycle themed route and all these other things that would tie into my uh, action sports side of my, my life. And then he dropped this on me and I just, I don't know, it just, the, the story fit for me. I mean, uh, it, it um, I thought it was a cool logo, first of all. And I, I just, yeah, and, and, and we spruced it up and, and you mm -hmm. know, keep dressing him up to, to fit each theme. Um, but I did, you know, again, I like to learn. So I, I started really digging into this guy, like, who is this dude? And found out, you know, uh, amongst many, many other things, like he gathered stone to help build the Pennsylvania Turnpike. He was a railroad baron who, he, before he was 25, had started two railroad companies out of Pittsburgh. And it, it was this, that sense of entrepreneurial spirit that, I, that matched where I come from. Um, but then I found out he was basically the guy who encouraged Lincoln to keep fighting the Civil War because he insisted that they need to abolish slavery. Wow. He was, you know, leading women's uh, suffrage movement rallies in the mid 1800s. Um, I was like, okay, this is just, a, he's a good dude. Like, I like this guy. He's not, yeah. uh, he's, he's got that spirit and he was a, in, in the, the mid 1800s, he was fighting for things that we're still fighting for today. And uh, that's pretty badass. That's so it. we adopted him as our mascot and uh, started brewing in uh, February of 2017. I will say in your recent uh, beer cans, I mean, we got to get some suntan lotion on that guy. He's very, very sunburned. Oh, on the, um, the speed of <laughs> He has some zinc on his nose. He does. He's super sunburned on his. On his yeah, on his the uppers. latest one, uh, the latest one with the guava and passion fruit. Yeah. Which I wish I would have got the memo. I, like pretty much every brewery in Pennsylvania this week announced that they're releasing like a guava and passion fruit beer. I'm like, hell to hell. We need some sort of forum so that we don't all dress in the same the same uh, the same clothes every day, but. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he's, he does look, I'm looking over it right now. He, he does look pretty sunburned. <laughs> Sun poison. Yeah. Um, I actually think if you grew that beard, if they took that beard and put it on you, you would look like him. I, I'm cool with that. I, I think <laughs> That's he's badass, dude. Good looking cartoon guy right now. Absolutely. Um, uh, our, uh, well, my friend and, and our uh, graphic designer here, Steven Leibensberger, who used to do the original labels at Saucony and, Okay. Now he does all of our uh, nice visual stuff here. He does look like him. Um, oh, really? He did just trim his beard, but he he when he had his beard long, he he has that 
the eyes and yeah. the, the yeah he uh, a lot of times people would see him here and ask if he was the logo. That's amazing. Got to go and explain. No, this guy is actually a historical figure and yada yada. But uh, yeah, no. <laughs> if we put Stephen in a three piece suit, he could just walk around and be uh, be General Larimer. You know, that's incredible. Yeah, we should do that. Well, I, I did look into just because we neighbor the uh, the Philadelphia Union Soccer Stadium yeah. on, on game days. You know, like the Fang, their mascots walking around and stuff, yeah. the tailgates and everything. So I'm like, man. It would be cool if we got a giant Larimer mascot head and, you know, just a giant obnoxious size Larimer head, <laughs> and just like a normal human body wearing it, like wearing a three piece suit. Yeah. And uh, I looked into it. So I, I, I actually communicated with the mascot uh, manufacturer that made the same, the, the, the union's uh, fang yeah. outfit. And uh, they had it all dialed in, 3D renderings and everything. And like it was just like, well, thank goodness we didn't pull the trigger on it because the season never happened this year and, and whatnot. But um, it's something that may happen down the road, and, you know, just and then random nights. I'm, you might just see me walking around Philly with a giant Larimer head on, you know, because yeah. it doesn't need to be Halloween. That'd be amazing. Well, that'll <laughs> go viral. Like, that's such a great marketing technique. It would just walk around and give stickers out and like, you know, beer tokens or something. So. I thought you were going to say that you were communicating with Fang because that doesn't happen. So I repelled for charity at the Outward Bound the, uh, school. The one in here in Center City? Yeah, we repelled down the building together. That's amazing. Did you do it this year? Or I'm sorry, in 2019? Yeah. I was, I, I was watching you from the ground then. Yeah. So I came down, Fang was on my left. And the whole time, like we're sitting up in the room and I'm asking him yes or no questions because he won't talk. So he's just shaking his head up and down. Yep. I was asking him, you know, just, just, just ragging on him. And he had a couple of people who would like help him walk up the stairs because he can't see shit. Um, but it's funny. I was just like ragging on him, just asking him all these questions and all he could do is shake his head. It was really funny. Yeah, no, I think it would be a lot of fun to, to put a mascot head on and not be able to respond to people other with, you know, it's yes or no nods or, or hand motions. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, uh, that's one of my like little, mini pipe dreams right now is we're going to get a big giant Larimer mascot head. And, you know, well, something for like, is that like probably 1500, two grand for something like that? Yeah, it was about that. It was like, uh, I think said and done delivered. It was like three grand. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know, it wasn't, wasn't, uh, it wasn't super far fetched. It was, uh, just not a, a reasonable decision to make at the time of, of starting up our first taproom location. It's more of a want than a need. That, Correct. Yes. There is a very, um, definitive line between those lists and, uh, it's on the, it's on the wish list wants side. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, but not lesser, it's one of the lesser expensive on the wants side, you True. know, you know, it, you know, like, uh, canning line, some other Four shiny point. stainless steel toys that I would love to add to the brewery that are much more expensive than that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so well, you never know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe to start the twenty twenty one Union soccer season, you'll see uh, you'll see a Larimer running around over there. We should do we should do some crowdsourcing. Uh, you know, podcast listeners, let's all chip in. You know, fifty cents, we might be able to yeah, get. And then, then we'll have Larimer. to recruit somebody to actually be uh, the mascot and uh, run around and hang out with Fang and Gritty and 
It was just, can we just make him another Philly mascot? <laughs> you know, run around the bases, you know? Yeah, yeah. Have him race, uh, have him race the, uh, the flash and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it would be a good fun one. That's for sure. I, I, uh, definitely that's going to be on the shelf as an idea for a while. <laughs> you heard it here. Second. Uh, awesome, man. So in, in all of these things that you do, you focus kind of on one thing. And, and to that point, you started with, uh, you know, 99 problems, but a peach ain't one. And you kind of, that was like, to me, that was what I saw. I saw one beer for the most part, do it, you know, get that out there and do it as well as you can. And I read something that said, you know, um, there's, I guess I'll put it to you, but when I say the words perfect replication of a beer over and over, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I mean, I, I think I know what interview you're reading from. Um, I say it all the time. Uh, hard to do. It's diff- It's the most difficult thing in in this business um, or craft of of brewing. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, you know. Trust me, I love being a small batch brewer and constantly having something new coming out. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the uh, the challenge and the the focus to detail that needs to go in to replicating a beer over and over again with no variation. Um, I think it's probably the most difficult um, task in, in brewing. And I I admire those guys that do it over and over and over again. Um, I get, um, I get, I don't want to say I get bored of it because it's a very difficult challenge. Yeah. Um, but it, um, it just isn't as, um, it's not my gig. I'm not a regimented individual. Um, I'm, I'm a, more of a creative, uh, thinker and, uh, I, I enjoy the, you know, new fruit combos on a sour beer or, new process and procedures for, you know, trying out some new dry hops or dry hopping, uh, additions or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, the, the, those, those guys and girls out there who are, um, able to go through those motions of, of beer replication, high fives all around. Cause it's tough, it's tough work. And, um, patience and everything else, you know? So, uh, I, I, uh, they, any one of those, you know, production brewers would be a huge, like that would be a, a a huge compliment to me. Um, eventually, you know, uh, maybe we will expand here and, and do some more production rather than just small batches out of the tap room. And, uh, to have somebody that could take, these small batch recipes and pinpoint, you know, okay, Hey, this is what we need to do to take beer X and turn it into a production beer and make it consistent on a regular year round schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that would be a diamond in the rough to find. And, you know, I think that that's where I recently had some conversations with Matt Farber, who's the, um, the, he's been, he's been on the podcast. I know Matt pretty well. Yeah, so, so Matt was in here with us, um, uh, couple couple weeks ago for a little uh happy philly sour yeah yes for the philly sour which we started using 
And, uh, you know, I think programs like his that are really focused on the technical sciences and quality controls of the brewing process, um, we have this, this wealth of um, human resource prospects of, uh, you know, knowledgeable individuals coming out um, with it, very in-depth backgrounds and, and, you know, I wish my guidance counselor would have talked to me about, <laughs> you know, being a brewer when I was in, you know, high school or whatever. Yeah. Um, I guess that's something they don't, they, they can't really talk to me about or talk to kids about, but um, you know, I mean, end of the day, I mean, it's, it's a real science and there's uh, programs like the, the U sciences um, program that are graduating talent huge talent way smarter than way smarter than me way smarter than most of these guys uh that have been in the industry for a long long time and i think that uh you know we will probably work with dr farber on bringing an intern in and maybe eventually somebody from his graduate program um to you know works work along with me and and make our beers even better um, because they've got a, they got a heck of a thing going on. And, and, um, with that knowledge that they bring to the table is a much more structured and regimented process of production and replication of, of beers. It's just incredible. Our conversation that we had, I mean, there was words I couldn't, I was like, I'm going to let you, uh, you know, proteases and all these words. I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and let you pronounce most of these. Cause I don't know what the hell's going on, but it's just cool to see that, you know, it, it, I said to him, I was like, can you have a beer without really analyzing it and wondering why it tastes like this or doesn't taste like this? Or, you know, um, so he said, yeah, you can get by it. But, you know, it's always kind of there, you know. Yeah, uh, I've had beers with him now a couple times and a little interview of our own with him uh, that we've had on yep. our Instagram live. And uh, I could every beer that he sipped, I, I immediately saw it in his eyes. Uh, you know, the wheels are spinning immediately and he's, he's trying to analyze and break it down. And, um, but he's got, he's got that, uh, deep, uh, academic background to even know how combined with a passion. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a beer, he's a beer guy. I mean, he, he really is. And, and then he can back it up with extensive, um, uh, chem and bio background that Absolutely. is uh, <laughs> like second to none. I mean, the guy's, the guy's great. So, and he's a down to earth guy and, and which, you know, he's, um, there's some, some, um, academics that you meet that, uh, have, they're very closed off to like yeah. the normal, the normal brain. Yeah. Um, he's Matt's down to earth. Uh, he gets it. He gets the craft beer world. And he's able to speak to everybody that was here um, on our staff that was, was hanging out sure. on a normal beer level. You know, he, it wasn't all uh, technical molecular biology yeah. terms. So uh, it, was, it was a fun time. Multi-talented. He's very personable. Yeah. Um, he's a great dude. Yeah. Very cool, man. So 99 Problems with a PJ1 has been kind of the go-to, put you on the map. Um, 
what else can we expect from you? I know you're putting out beers and the guava and all these things. So what yeah, else can we, so, uh, yeah, 99 problems was actually the second beer we ever released. Okay. Um, what was the first? The La resistance, uh, Goza, with, uh, pink Himalayan salt, um, uh, Goza was the very first and sort of the base to what, you know, ended up rolling into being 99 problems was the second that we released. Um, that, yeah, 99 problems just took off right away. Um, it got released in the beginning of the summertime in 2017. It just sort of fit the yeah. season and the temperatures, the weather, whatever. But I was always into, uh, you know, the whole like fruited, sour, tart, acidic, uh, flavor profile. So I'm, we're constantly doing stuff, uh, along that line with what we call the speedo season series. Okay. And, uh, it's, it's just, uh, that's where you saw him with the zinc on his nose yeah. on the label. So that's just a rotating, uh, we're actually trying to ramp that up a little bit more. We're probably, we, we were doing one speedo season um, per month. We're probably going to start doing two, uh, per month. Okay. Um, where they're, um, ABV changes a little bit. Um, but, uh, for the most part, the base beer is very, very similar, uh, different fruit combinations. Um, we have done over the course of the years, different kettle souring processes. Um, we, this most recent batch was done with the Philly sour, um, that the, the, the crew at U sciences, mm -hmm. uh, developed, um, and that turned out very nice. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, once more people start discovering that Philly sour, uh, people, the idea of kettle souring may be gone. I'm not sure, but, right. um, no, that worked out and turned out very nicely. Um, we started getting into seltzers this year. Okay. Uh, so we have our, not your sorority sister seltzers. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, uh, that's another little kind of, we try to drop one a month, okay. different, uh, different fruit combinations, uh, using real puree on it too. Okay. Um, no, no flavorings or anything like that. Um, well, what else we got going on? <laughs> got a bunch of new IPAs dropping too right now. Just did a mango milkshake one double IPA. Uh, I got my hands on a bunch of Galaxy and Vic Secret. Okay. On their fun Australian hops. So got a few new IPAs coming pretty soon here. I just did a sour IPA actually with the Philly Sour as well. Awesome. Um, so is that in the kettle or is it still? Uh, or it is, is it fermenting right now. So yeah. that's probably uh, still a few weeks away here to actually be in a package. But um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's the joy of the small three barrel brew house that we, we got going on here in Chester is, uh, it's like constant something new all the time. And, um, we've kind of reeled back from distribution and doing all the big batches, um, right now that was, uh, you know, partially because of everything that was sure. happening this year. So, uh, it's all kind of, you got to come to the brewery to get it. Um, with the exception of a few, little events or pop-ups that we do here or there right now. Okay. But, um, cause we do have a pop-up happening in Exton on the 22nd, uh, where we're, we're going to, uh, pop up and do to go beer sales at, uh, snap custom pizza. Yeah. And, um, that could be the start of a little bit more regular pop-up with those guys. Okay. Uh, 
so yeah, we're, uh, Oh, K 38 Mexican lager too. That's become a, uh, that's become a regular. The uh, Mexican yeast is killer, man. I love it. I love it. I, I, I use a Mexican lager yeast from BSI yeah. and love the flavor profile on it. Uh, we do a, like a proper Pilsner corn mash, uh, flaked okay. corn mash. And, uh, it's, that's kind of been my go-to low ABV summer beer this year. Especially and, it's been freaking uh, hot, man. So yeah, it's been brutal with the uh, humidity and heat. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we're, we're actually kind of making that. I've, I've probably done, I mean, it was supposed to, that was supposed to be a one-off and I think we've probably done eight to 12 batches of it now. The 12 off. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's a one-off. Uh, people, people, uh, people have been enjoying it. So I think that's, uh, now we're, we're now like, okay, that's got to go and get, start getting brewed on the larger system somewhere. Uh, so yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're always, uh, we're always trying to be creative with new things, but never scared to do something traditional like a Mexican lager. So, um, there's going to be a few more, I think, as we roll into the fall here too, with a little bit more traditional German sense to it. Um, but then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we're, we're just craft beer fans here. So we chase all the, we chase all the hype releases all around the Northeast and country. I was just, uh, I was just out in Long Beach, California doing a collaboration out there and chasing after a monkish release that I yeah. sold out, sold out before I could get my credit card in there, you know? So we're, we're into all the, uh, we're into all the trendy beers and releases, but we tried to do some traditional stuff too. Fantastic. All right. Where can we find more about the, the Larimer? You on Instagram or yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you can find us at the Larimer at any okay. of the social media sites, um, or just at, um, the Larimer.com. Cool. And, uh, we, we're doing online orders. If you're, uh, Anywhere in the state of Pennsylvania, we'll, we can ship uh, okay. via UPS. You, you, even if you're in uh, Western Pennsylvania, we'll ship it out to you. And you can, uh, or if you're down the street, we ship yeah. to people in Philly all the time. Just don't they, feel like uh, getting up. <laughs> they don't feel like uh, driving 30 minutes, which is totally fine. So yeah, yeah, we can uh, we can ship anywhere in the state of Pennsylvania. Sweet. And um, then you know, keep an eye on social media because uh we basically you know at least uh, at least usually at least one beer a week we're re- uh, release a new one um or a re-release of something um that may have been a favorite so okay. um yeah we try to keep up on a, a week weekly release and uh like i said we're trying to ramp up to get to uh maybe a, a two beer per week release of, of uh some new guys that uh hit the flavor of the week profiles. I love it. Yeah. I'm on the website now. It looks good. All right, cool. Looks pretty uh, straightforward as far as ordering. Yeah. Right now it's pretty, pretty darn simple as there's not much going on other than uh, outdoor seating uh, Thursday through Sunday and okay. curbside takeout um, in inside seating. We do not have open. Um, right. I just a uh, little too hectic with the mandates uh, currently with, with uh, COVID-19 and Best to just avoid it. Yeah, so we uh, we only have outdoor seating, but we do have some uh, shade and tents and things like that up, and and then there is a, a partitioned access to the restrooms, so people don't have to go and 
you know, pee in the, in the bushes across the street. But, um, neighbors, neighbors hate that. We're keeping it, we're keeping it pretty, uh, pretty simple right now until we, uh, hopefully get over this hump of, uh, pandemic era. You got this, man. We got this. We can do it. Hang what's, tight, uh, <laughs> what's, uh, what's in your fridge? Well, like I said, I was just out in Long Beach um, and uh, I was out brewing a collaboration where I actually took that Philly sour yeast out there. And uh, uh, it's the longest, um, the, the, I'm sorry, the oldest operating brew pub in L.A. County and the newest brewery in L.A. County. And then myself and the Larimer teamed up and did this beer. I took the Philly sour out. That was our contribution to it. Yeah. Um, but right down the street from where I brewed at Belmont, uh, brewing company, which is beautiful, right on the, right on the ocean. Okay. Uh, literally you're standing on the brew house deck, like looking at the Pacific out of the window. Um, so I was, may, I may have put an application in there. I'm not, you know, like I could get used to that. <laughs> uh, and then trusted gut is the new brewery. Um, it's a bunch of friends of mine from action sports years, actually, um, got that program going. I've been consulting and, uh, helping them out and I'm going to help them with some brewing operations out there. And hopefully in the, in early 2021, we will also start contracting some Larimer batches out of that new facility. They built a beautiful new, uh, brewery space and what system was that uh, system? A 30 barrel uh, with 60 barrel uh, fermenters. It's all fully automated. Uh, um, so I was, uh, I was, yep, I'm on board. Let me <laughs> come out. So, but right down the street from where we brewed and from Trusted Gut is Beechwood Brewery um, and the Beechwood Blendery. Mm. Um, so I was, the Blendery is closed right now, which is where all their spontaneous and, and wild fermentations happen. Yeah but I, I made it to their, uh, their long beach brew pub. So I've got, I've got four of their IPAs in hand. Nice. And I think I'm probably going to be cracking into the, um, the, uh, there's a lot of West coast IPAs happening out in Southern California right well, now. They're, well, they're coming back now in the East coast yeah. again. You know? So it's, it's like this crazy new wave though, of sort of like this modern West coast IPA where they are, very, very pale straw, almost New England in color. Okay. But so they're using like two row or something. It's all two row. There's no crystal to it at all. Um, IBUs are still in that 70 range, but it's not those um, traditional C hops. It's a lot of Simcoe, Mosaic, okay. Galaxy, Vic Secret. IBUs are still up at 70. Clarity is still there because they're, they're not hazing it. Yeah. But they're using more modern hops and like all the sought after hops for what we think of as these Northeast beers right. on these new, new West coast styles. Um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's been pretty good. So, um, like for example, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. The, the Alma Gameter, uh, IPA from Beachwood, uh, 7.1% ABV, 70 IBUs. Um, and it's American two row and honey malt and then mosaic warrior Columbus Amarillo. Can't be bad. I'm yeah. And this is probably their most popular, uh, on their, their lineup. 
Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely this like huge wave of sort of like new wave West coast IPAs. Pretty cool. All right. I got to keep an eye out for those. I haven't had one yet. All right. Cool, man. Well, Hey, I appreciate you. I'm glad we connected. I'm looking forward to seeing you grow. Uh, hoping to see you, um, potentially on the 22nd then I'm right out here in Exton. Um, and, uh, you know, just like, uh, general Larimer, you know, you're a pioneer and I'm hoping the stars continue to align for you as you continue on your journey. I appreciate that. Thank you uh, for having me on again. And it's always great to break away from the brew house a little bit and have a beer and, and chat. So, uh, I greatly appreciate the, the opportunity. Absolutely, man. No, thanks for taking the time. Cheers, brother. Absolutely. Cheers. Have a great weekend. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.